All right. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. It's fun seeing you interact a little bit here at the Legacy Campus, at least. I want to say hi to everybody, those of you who are online, too. Certainly a Whataburger crowd here at Legacy. And uh, we're in Texas, right? So why not? And, uh, and today we are continuing the series we're in called The Names of God, which is really about the character of God, because each of these names reveal a different facet, a different aspect of his character, of, of who he is. And if you're new to Christianity or curious about it, then you're going to get a really good perspective in this series of who God is. He's surprising in a good way. And for those of us who know him, this is an opportunity to know him more deeply because every one of us, no matter where we're coming from in our journey, no matter how long we've known God or been on a spiritual thing, um, we all have a skewed perspective of God. We all have a skewed view of God just based on our experiences and, and all that. In fact, God is so vast and immense. We'll spend all eternity knowing more and more about him. And the, and the more we unskew our view of God, the better, because a skewed view of God skews the way we relate to him, the way we relate to each other, the way we live life. And, and if we want more joy and peace and hope and certainty, it comes from knowing God more and more deeply and more and more accurately. And so that's a big part of this series. And we're certainly going to see that in today's name, which is El Elyon, which is the God Most High, or God Most High, the God who is above all and over all and in control. And in a world like this, that can seem so out of control. I mean, in this service right now, we have some uh, friends from the Ukraine. In times when life feels out of control, it's good to know El Elyon, that there is someone in control who's good. And some of you are in a situation right now where you need to know that. We all do. And to help us with that name, that's why I have these. We have two new, brand new Chase Oakers. Some of you are new to Chase Oaks. And by the way, there's so many new people at Chase Oaks now. They're like, hey, how, how, you know, how do you join or how do you whatever? And we're a very low bar church. We take, I mean, I'm the pastor, so we take anybody. Okay. So, um, and what that, and so there's no like bar of entry. You don't have to pass a test or do a bunch of stuff. It's just, if you're, if you've been here, even if you haven't been here, but if you have been here and you want to be part of this crazy place and you're open to whatever God is going to call you to do, or even the possibility that then you're in. All right. You're official right now. You're official. Well, these are the two newest Chase Oaks members. And this is, uh, these goldfish. Uh, one of them is Mel and one of them is backup Mel, um, named for Melchizedek, a character in, uh, in that we're going to look at today. And the reason we have backup Mel is we've learned the hard way already today that when you are dealing with goldfish, it's good to have a backup. So uh, uh, that's why we have we have two. And, you know, right now um, their life feels pretty good. Right. I mean, they're pretty calm and pretty happy. And it, it feels like everything they're in control of their little world, you know. But of course, that's delusional, right? Because their world is literally in my hands right now. They have no clue. They have no idea. Although this one guy is looking at me. He's creeping me out a little bit. But, uh, but they have no idea, right? Who's in control of their world. Uh, but th it's not them. And, and as long as things are fine, they're not really going to worry too much about it. But if I began to really shake up their little ball, they'd start asking big questions about life. Is there somebody up there? Is anybody in control of this thing? Why is this happening to me? This is so unfair. Like they would ask all the questions we ask when our life gets shaken up. 
And, and because I'm in control, if I was mean, right, I could, I could really make their life hard. I, I could pour out most of their water. I could pull them out and throw them up into the balcony. I mean, I, I won't. Don't worry about it. But I, um, I, I want to make their life as good as possible here at Chase Oaks. But I could, right? And, and you can look at, at Mel and back up Mel and think, um, you know, uh, they're kind of delusional because they think they're in control of their little universe, their little world, but they're not in control at all. The same thing is true for you and me. And, and sometimes we, when life is good, we kind of feel in control, but when life starts, when our, our world starts shaking, when we feel like somebody's pulled us out and tried to throw us into the balcony or whatever's going on in our life, and we realize we are not in control. And when our world is shaken, that is really disconcerting, right? We like to be in control. We don't like to be out of control, of course. We get anxious. We get nervous. That's just natural. But today, what I want us to know is that there is a person over the fishbowl of our lives, the fishbowl of this world, who is in control of this universe, who is in control of your life, who is in control of this world. And he's good. And if you and I can know El Elyon for who he is then we have, well, no matter what is going on, and some of you are going through some really tough things right now, then we can know peace, we can know hope, we can know joy, even in the midst of our world being shaken. And we're going to see that today. And, and the way El uh, Elyon is a name that's used throughout the Old Testament for God, but today we're going to go to the very first mention of that name, and it's in the book of Genesis. And it's, it's quite a little story with a mysterious guy named Melchizedek. And it also is about another really famous character in the Bible, arguably the most significant Old Testament person, and that is Abraham. We're going to do a series on Abraham next spring, and looking forward to that already. But Abraham, we'll just get introduced to him a little bit. Um, Abraham is the one, he's the father of the nation of Israel. He's the one that God made all those promises to and to leave where he was to go to the land that we now call Israel, the promised land. So all that's in process. And what happens today is, is also the first military like battle in the Bible. And the way that happens is he's got a nephew named Lot. And Lot decides he doesn't really want to stay with Uncle Abraham anymore. He wants to go off on his own. There's this city-state, this big city called Sodom that's way more exciting. They have Whataburger and In-N-Out. And it's, you know, it's great. And he wants to be over there. And that doesn't turn out so well. So for a while, it does. I mean, his world is fine. Like, he, his little fishbowl, everything's good. But it's going to not just get shaken. It's going to get poured over because here's what happens. So there's these, all these different city-states with different kings. So when, when I talk about kings in this story, don't think big empires like Egypt and, you know, Babylon and all that. These at this stage in this area were these little city-states, each with a king. Each of them were the big fish in their fishbowl, thinking that they were the big shots, that they were in control. They had no clue, delusional like the rest of us. And some of these city-state kings decide they wanted to have more stuff and have more power. So they invade and, and there's this battle and the invading kings win and they come into Sodom and they defeat the king of Sodom and they take Lot and they take Lot's family and all their possessions captive with a bunch of other people and a bunch of other stuff. So now Lot's world is totally shaken. 
when Abraham hears about what's happened to his relative Lot, he does not hesitate. He goes into action mode. He's got 318 men in his household in his that work for him that are trained to fight. And even though this coalition of armies is way more than 318, when it comes to faith, you don't really play the odds. If you believe God is in it, you just do it and trust God no matter what the odds. And he's going to do that. So he's got 318 versus thousands. They attack at night, a surprise attack at night. Some of you are night people. Any night people in the house? Two? Okay. Uh, so they, they attack and, um, and they, the, the people start running and they're, you know, in the surprise attack. Uh, the 318 chase after them. They defeat the bigger army. The bigger army leaves their captives and leaves all the possessions behind. So Abraham is able to rescue not only Lot and his family, but all these other people. And it's a, a big victory. Two of the kings that were defeated uh, want to come and visit with Abraham and thank him. And it's the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. Now, the king of Salem is much more significant in the story. His name is Melchizedek. And he's one of the more mysterious characters in the Bible. So we're going to see. He's going to show up in the New Testament, too, because uh, the New Testament sees him as a precursor or a picture of Jesus to come. But. Uh, he's also, as the king of Salem, significant because that Salem, that city-state, will become Jerusalem eventually. So he had, nobody has any idea how big of a deal that's going to be one day in the story of God's people. But we read about Melchizedek in Genesis 14, 18, and here's what we read about him. It's the first time we see the name El Elyon uh, today. Uh, then Melchizedek, king of, Sa king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He's just being hospitable. He's feeding these people and, and his, his troops and all that. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, El Elyon. So Melchizedek is a believer in God, the God Most High. It's only used of God, El Elyon, the God above all gods, the God above everything, the Most High God. And we don't know how that happened. That's one of the mysteries of Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek was a king, a Canaanite king, of a pagan nation, he would have grown up believing in many gods in the, their pantheon of all these different gods and stuff. And how he came to know God as God is a mystery. It's the first time, as far as we know, he meets Abraham, so it wasn't through that. So how does he become a believer in the same God as Abraham believes in? And we don't know. Although, it's interesting, because when you look at church history, even what's happening in different parts of the world now... It is really cool what, the way God often does things. Typically, people find out about God through people who tell them, right? That's the normal way that happens, and maybe that happened here. But you also see these examples throughout history and even today where people may believe in lots of gods and all that, but then begin to search for the creator God, the God most high, the God who's above everything, like realizing, hey, I think there's just one God, like, and they start looking, and God, there's these different divine ways that God does personal divine encounters, like what you see in the Muslim world right now with people who have no real knowledge of Jesus in the way we would talk about that, who reach out for God in such a way that there are lots of people are becoming Christians in the Muslim world. And the most typical story is that Jesus appears to them in a dream and they meet Jesus and then later find other Christians and stuff. So God can do it all kinds of ways. And maybe that was how it happened. We really don't know. It's part of the mystery of Melchizedek. The other mystery of Melchizedek is that he's a priest of El Elyon. 
Now, that's his name for God, the God most high, the God above everything. And he's a priest, and that's God. So he's a priest of God. Now, how did that happen, and what did they even mean? Because this is before God is going to set up the priesthood for his nation. So what does it mean that he's a priest, and how did that work, and how did that function? And a priest is a person who mediates between God and people. So evidently, there in Salem, in this Canaanite place, he is mediating a relationship between God and his people, which is pretty cool. But exactly what that looked like, we don't really know, except Melchizedek is going to perform a priestly function with Abraham. He's going to pronounce a blessing. And that's part, and, and in that blessing, here's what he says. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, that's El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, El Elyon. Who delivered your enemies into your hand. So Melchizedek is honoring God as El Elyon. He pronounces a blessing on Abraham as a priestly function, blesses him. We read later, well, just the next verse, that Abraham then uh, gives a tithe to the priest, which means 10% of his possessions, to honor El Elyon as God. It's the first time we mention tithing in the Bible. And if that's new to you, that's a Christian, just a practice that people who are Jesus followers do. That we, that we give not in generosity, not just sporadic generosity, but planned generosity where you set aside a percentage uh, of your income. And you make that a priority in your budget and you give that to God as a way of recognizing that he is El Elyon. He is the God above all. He is the one who owns all that we have. And everything we have comes from him, and we honor him with our, with our income first, and God honors that, and that's a whole other sermon. But this is the first time we see that happening. And he blesses Abraham in the name of El Elyon. So that's, it could be that Melchizedek is the one that coined that name for God, and God likes it. It appears throughout the Bible. But he's recognizing that it is God who won the battle, not Abraham. It wasn't his brilliance. It wasn't the surprise attack. It wasn't, I mean, that was sure, I'm sure God gave him wisdom for that. But obviously, with these kind of odds, this was El Elyon, the God above all. And these kings thought they were the big shots. But there's a bigger big shot, and that's God, who's completely in control. Abraham is going to agree with that when he talks to the other king. Uh, he's going to say, he's also going to praise El Elyon. He says, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth. So the one who wins our battles, the one who's in control of everything, God, El, El Yon. Now that's important to realize, especially when we live in a time where it's easy to look at our world and think, I don't know if anybody's in control of this. Or in times in your life that feel that way. And so let's talk a little bit about El, El Yon as God of, like in a big way, God of everything. The king of kings and lord of lords, the god of nations that raises up nations and tears them down, raises up kings and tears them down, as well as in our own life. So first, let's think big picture. What would it look like in a world like ours to know and trust God as El Elyon? And I think that's really, really important right now. And I think we've learned a lot of lessons of, of how, uh, over the last few years, of how problematic it can be if we give our hope and we give our allegiance to lesser gods and lesser hopes. Like politics. 
you know, politics, I mean, it's fine. I mean, you should be involved and you should have opinions and you should vote and you should, that's a stewardship and all that. It's all great. But if our hope is in a political person or political party or whatever, that's a problem. Because as Jesus people, what we're committed to, our allegiance and our hope is in King Jesus, is in El Elyon. And even as we approach like a new election season with the midterm elections and people are going to be nervous and people are going to get a little bit grumpy or a little mad at each other, whatever. Let's remember that El Elyon is not up for reelection. That the God who is in control is not wondering how it's going to go. He's not up there biting his fingernails and big, huge fingernails coming down from the sky. You know, that's not happening because he's incomplete. He's the one that raises leaders up. He's the one that tears them down. He is the one who is working out his purposes in our world. And therefore, we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be nervous. And we certainly shouldn't let that divide us because what unites us as a church, we're an expression of the kingdom of God, not of this world. And therefore, it's a when when we are in situations and we're so polarized in our culture, if we allow that to happen in church, then we start scoring points for the wrong team. And I was talking with a we're actually not talking. I heard a pastor talk about this um, and he was saying, you know, during covid, when people got so the churches tended to get divided politically and all that. stuff, I bet Satan was just, you know, sitting back in his chair thinking, I don't even have to work anymore. I'm going on vacation. Look at these Christians. They're doing it to themselves. I mean, they're so divided. They're so ineffective. I mean, they're, this was easy. So let's not ever let that happen. Remember that, hey, what, what unites us is not this party or this party or this person or this political. They, they, what unites us is a commitment as representatives of God's kingdom to El Elyon, the God who is above all of that. So that's the God of the nations. But he's also the God of your life and mine. Including the times that our fishbowl of our life gets shaken. And we wonder at those, like when life is good, right? We're all, oh yeah, God's good. God's in control. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I mean, couldn't be better. God is amazing. And then when our world starts falling apart, and some of you are right there, you get a doctor report with cancer or with you or someone you love, you you have a financial downturn, a relational downturn, our friends in the Ukraine, that kind of thing. I mean, that happens. Whatever it is, like when, when our world turns upside down, then what? David praises, and in a time like this, we see him cry out to El Elyon, God Most High, who's in control of everything. And in, the, in, in Psalm 57, we read, I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He's being attacked from every side. He's being maligned. His world was once peaceful, now is not. His fishbowl of his life is being shaken. But then he says, I cry out to God most high, El Elyon, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And what he's saying is this. Is it in a fallen world? The fact that God is in control of the fishbowl of our lives does not mean that our world will be unshaken. Doesn't. In fact, Jesus told us, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. We're not immune to the brokenness of our broken world. And it doesn't mean that God causes everything to happen that happens. We're the ones who messed up our world. Humans, when we chose sin. And that's why 
sickness and death and violence and injustice and financial problems. All that happens because it's, a, it's all a product of a fallen world and sin. And God doesn't, like, he's not making all this stuff happen, I don't, but, but he does allow it. He is in control of what happens in the fishbowl of our lives. And, and what the Bible teaches and what David was acknowledging is he always turns whatever is happening into his purpose for us. Like whatever you're going through right now, God is promises to work it out for good in your life. He promises that he always has a purpose, that he will always, that, that not, one thing that God has never said is oops, which is really good. I say that 20 times a day. And by the way, if you're ever walking around outside and you hear from the thundering from the heavens, a big oops, be scared. That's a big problem. But God's never said it, right? There's no oops. He is purposeful and he has a purpose for everything. And everything that comes into our life comes through his, the filter of his good purposes that he's working out. And therefore, we can trust him. There's a writer from a long time ago named Ellen Rad, Redpath. And, uh, and I appreciate the way he talks about this. Here's what he says. There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. But as I but as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart. No sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever disarm me. No circumstance will cause me to fret for I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. We can trust him because God is good. He's in control. He's purposeful and he's competent. You know, when I think about aquariums and stuff, there's a, a story in, in my own life. I was, a, I was, you got to give me a break on this story because it just did not turn out well for fish. But I was in preschool and my brother was, is old, was older than me. And so he was like probably fifth, sixth grade doing a science experiment and like a science project. And it was multiple week science project. It was something about guppy reproduction. So in our garage was this big aquarium. Now I was a preschooler, so I remember it as massive aquarium. Probably wasn't, but it, in my mind it is. And there were all these guppies in there that were multiplying, because that's what guppies do. And I always loved watching my brother, I thought it was so cool, take the fish food and feed the fish. And all the guppies would get so excited. Oh, that was awesome. You know, they'd go up to the top, they'd be all excited. I thought, ooh, that looks so fun. But guess what my brother told me? Stay away from the fish. Stay away from the fish food. Don't ever feed the guppies. Which made me want to do what? feed the guppies, right? So he's off at school. I'm a preschooler, so I'm at home. And I go out to the garage and I find what I think is fish food. Looks like fish food, but it was Comet, the cleaner, you know. The, and so I wanted to be generous to these poor guppies and get them all excited about food. So I just start dumping Comet into the aquarium. Well, if you wonder, they don't do well with that. But what happened was like instantly, because it had a filter, you know, the suds started just, everything just started pouring out of the aquarium. All these suds, including all these guppies that had floated to the top. And guess what? They were not, when they were on the ground, um, they were not flopping around. Uh, they were goners. And I remember just panicking. I still remember. I, mean, I really, it's one of those things you remember. And I, I remember trying to pick these things up and throw them back into the thing and just hoping that there'd be some kind of resurrection. And, and there, there wasn't. Uh, there were no resurrections on that day. And my brother was, of course, mad and upset and all that. 
And, uh, and here's the point of that. Is that if people like me are in control of the fishbowl of our world and your life, we're all in trouble. But it's not people like me. It's God who's good, who is in control, who, who promises to work even in a fallen world to not that we will never we will suffer. And one day he'll fix that. He'll come back. New heaven and new earth. But even in our suffering, he will walk with us through us with with us. He will strengthen us and he will always make it purposeful. And therefore, we can trust him. But in the meantime, he also understands that we will get freaked out. Just like one of these guys started freaking out when I picked him up. We will start freaking out because we realize when we realize we're out of control, we're like, ah, and we have worries and we have anxieties. And some of you right now, just think about what are you worried about? What are your anxieties? Well, have them. Some of you have them a lot, really deeply right now because your world is being shaken. He knows that. And he tells us as El Elyon what to do with those because he is in control. He is not worried because he's in control. He understands that we get worried because we're not the ones in control. And yeah, we can trust him, but that's well, what do you do with your anxieties? And he tells us. So a couple places. One, first Peter five, seven, Peter is writing to Christians who are being persecuted in severe ways in their fishbowl have been turned upside down just because they were Christians and they were facing tremendous persecution because of that. They were losing everything, including their lives. And Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. What do we do with our worries and cares? We can't do anything with them. We're not in control. So what do we do? We give them to God because he cares for us. Paul writing to the Philippians who were also struggling. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, meaning turn your worries into prayer requests. Cast your cares upon God. Give them to him. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, if you, if you want to, if you want to have peace, that doesn't make any sense because everybody looking at what you're going through, they know what's happening. Like, how can you be at peace? I'd be freaking out right now. And the only way we could do that is if we give away our anxieties to him. And when we do that and we turn, we pray and we give them to him, then he, in exchange, gives us his peace. I've got this. I'm going to fill you with my peaceful presence. You give your cares. You give your anxieties to me. You're not, you can't do anything about him anyway. I can. And then trust me. And when we do, then we know his peace, even when our world is being shaken. And I, I want us to do that. That's, we're going to actually do something uh, here just in a moment as we're going to pray. And we're going to turn our anxieties into prayer requests and ask God to give us peace where we're freaking out. Where we have anxieties. Where we're nervous. And what I love about that is God, God doesn't shame us for freaking out. And ang- I mean, he gets it. He just doesn't want us to stay like that. He gives us the opportunity to say, hey, don't, don't do that. Just give them to me. Let me take it. And I'll give you my peace. So we're going we're gonna to go through a little prayer process in a minute. And then we're going to sing a worship song. Because that's another thing that happens when we worship God. 
The way David, who wrote a lot of the worship songs in the Bible called Psalms, talks about it, is that these worship songs, that God is the lifter of our head. And when you and I come together and we worship God, God lifts our head from our circumstances and all the stuff that's freaking us out to El Elyon, the God above our circumstances. And we're like, oh, that's right. There is somebody over this fishbowl who's got a plan and I can trust him. And that's why coming and gathering and worshiping together is so important. That's why the the worship night that's happening Sunday night, if you're listening, I'm talking on Friday night. I don't think we're fooling anybody anymore about that. But um, I'm not talking on Sunday. I'm I'm on Friday. That's when we film our online thing, just in case you wonder. And um, but Sunday night we have a, a a at the Legacy Campus worship night. Don't miss that. Not only because it is meaningful to God, it's also a way to come. And, and we're going to just have just uninterrupted worship as a way to lift our heads above all that's going on in our world and honor the God who is good and who's purposeful and who's above it all. And when that happens, something really powerful changes in us. Peace, joy, hope, no matter what's going on. So I'm going to invite us to bow our heads together in prayer. And I want you to think about surface your anxieties, your worries. What are you worried about? And as you surface those, what I want us to do is, is just turn the, that into a prayer request. Give it to God. Cast all your anxieties on Him for He cares for us. And just right now, have re- prayer is just talking to God in your own words. You don't have to get the words right. He's, he's your Father. He loves you. He just wants you to talk to Him. And just, it just in, in, in the silence of your mind and heart, just say, God, you know what I'm worried about. Here it is. Just name it to him. And I want to, I can't do anything about this. Like, that's why I'm worried about it. I'm uncertain. I, I'm out of control. And God, I'm going to give it to you. And would you help me trust you with it? And every time this starts freaking me out again, would you just help me just keep giving it to you, giving it to you, giving it to you until I, until I trust you? And God, would you, in exchange, give me peace? Knowing that you do have it. That you are in control. And that you are good. And even though I don't like it, I don't get it, I don't understand it, just help me trust that you got it. And help me know peace and hope and joy, even in a time like this. Father, we thank you that you are in control that you are good, that you're always working out your good purposes in our world and your good purposes in our lives. We do look forward to the day that we'll be in heaven and there'll be no more sorrow and tears and anxiety and difficulty. But in the meantime, we're thankful that we are not on our own and that you are good and you are in control. We praise you as El El Yon. In Jesus' name, amen.